Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucet, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of, and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also, visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette, and as we do every week, we're joined by a brand new guest talking about their life and their journey throughout the world of martial arts. My guest today is known as one of the first martial arts tricksters in open martial arts competitions and an early pioneer of non-traditional forms. He helped popularize the 540-degree kick and the Hawkeye kick in the mid-80s, launched his film career when he was handpicked by Jet Li to be a stunt double in 1989 for a series of Hong Kong films. In 1990, he caught the eye of stunt coordinator Pat Johnson, and he was cast as Donatello in the film. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 and 3. He's worked as a stunt person and an actor on numerous other movies over the years and was even a regular on The Tonight Show with Conan O'Brien. In 2010, he did his first stand-up comedy set at the Downtown Independent in Los Angeles. Please welcome my guest today, Mr. Stephen Ho. How are you doing today, sir? Oh, God, you had to mention that comedy bit? <laughs> <laughs> of course I did. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. That was, that was actually uh, that was something that was on my bucket list. I was really? always, I know we're, it's a martial arts podcast, uh-huh. but Oh, go you ahead. Know, part of martial arts is, is overcoming your fears, right? Uh, yep. And everyone has some sort of fears. And at that time, my and I would I'd done a lot of teaching, a lot of public speaking, but I had a fear of doing stand-up comedy. Because I had uh, you know, many friends who were stand-up comedy comics and I would go to watch them practice and when they bombed, they bombed. You know what I mean? And <laughs> I always just thought it was just so admirable for someone to go out there and just try and experiment with new material and if it failed to not take it personally right you know similar to like learning a new technique in martial arts right you're going to try it in class even though you know it may not work but you keep doing it until you get it so to me that was just like wow this is like crazy to do that that's impressive uh, i had done conan a bunch of times you know and i was talking to one of the writers and just in passing i said yeah one day one day i'm gonna get the nuts to do stand-up comedy i don't know how but i just wanted it's just one of those things i have to overcome because i feel like i'm so afraid of it you know Mm -hmm. and they said uh, adam yenser was was one of the guys adam yenser and doug caro were writers and producers on the show um said we'll help we'll help you write it they helped write something for me and then Stephen Wynn, who was, uh, you know, locked into the AAIP community, mm-hmm. had a Asian Pacific, you know, comedy comic uh, show that was coming up with, you know, some big names. And he asked if I would be interested to do it. And I said, hell yeah. Wow. And then so that's what I did. I did it one time. And then um, that was it. I didn't really no desire to do it again. But I'll tell you what, after that, I, I, I gained so much confidence in public speaking. <laughs> that's a, see, in me, it was like I. I... I could never do that, but I used martial yeah. arts to help overcome my thing of speaking in public. And now I've been on stage in front of like 5,000 people. 
Yeah, I could. Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, I almost failed. I almost failed speech class in high school because I would not get up in front of the class. But like stand up comedy, I, I man, props to you. I could never, ever, ever do it. <laughs> That's impressive. Well, there, there you go. There, there you go. We got to hook you up now. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm, I'm good. Get I'm over, good. You, cool. Get well, overcome that fear. Nice. Well, what I want to do is I want to go back to the very beginning. I want to know wh- where your martial arts journey began. Kind of what led to it. Where where that first spark came from, and kind of what launched that for you. Sure. Easy answer. Bruce Lee. Nice. Um, I was probably five or six maybe i don't know four five or six something like that Mm -hmm. and you know vhs days we were in a a a department store with my mom i was in a department store with my mom and this was during those times where you can leave your kids alone you know so she could actually (laughs) she was in one section and i was in another section by myself and so i was in the tv section and enter the there was a scene the dungeon scene the end of the dragon was on tv and it just stopped me. It, it literally, first I heard the sounds and I looked and I just, I, re, I still get chills thinking about how I felt. It's like, what, what is this? You know, what is this that I'm watching? I don't know what it is. I just know that this is what I'm going to do. Wow. And when the scene was over, I tried to rewind it, but I didn't know how to operate the machine and it <laughs> went to snow and I thought I broke the machine and I kind of ran away. <laughs> and, you know, I, I didn't want to tell my mom you know, to please try to rewind it because I thought I broke the machine and that was it. And um, after that, that was literally my life goal after that was to be like Bruce Lee, whatever that meant. And I didn't know it was Bruce Lee at the time. So concurrently with that, my my dad used to love watching Ali, loved to watch Ali, mm, right? Nice. Okay. So when he, used to, he used to be on network TV, right, during the daytime. Mm-hmm weekend or whatever and so we he i used to watch all these fights with him and between that and bruce i was hooked and that's what i wanted to do but um i i got kicked out of preschool for fighting Uh, long story i mean it was a combination of coming here to the united states for the first time not learning how to speak english Mm -hmm. or not knowing how to speak english and i think i was you know looking as an adult i can see now yeah this kid was like severe displacement a lot of anxiety Mm-hmm. And so I just started, I just started punching kids because I saw Ali punching. So I started punching kids, you know? And so I think at that point, my parents were, or my mom was more like, no, you're not doing any kind of martial arts. <laughs> why would we weaponize? Why would we weaponize you? You know? Right. And so this, this went on for a while and I, I would just watch Kung Fu theater. Do you remember Black Belt Theater? Oh yeah, definitely. With Rich, Richie, Richie Barthi, Barthi. Mm-hmm. And um, I would just, try to mimic the moves my uncle would give me some ohara books every birthday and every christmas the bruce lee books i would go to the library and rent bruce tanger judo books and i just try to teach myself and then by the time i was 12 we moved to a new area that was pretty secluded at that time and there was really nothing for me to do except just kick rocks at the construction field you know Right. And so um, my mom says, you got to do something. And I said, well, I, like I said, I want to do Kung Fu. I want to learn something. And so she goes, okay, that's it. You're in. So, wow, I was so excited. So she goes, pick any studio studio you want to go to. I had zero knowledge, knew no one in the martial arts at all. Mm-hmm. There was two studios that were close by to us. One was a Shotokan studio we went to. I was like, okay, that's cool. But honestly, in my head, I already had a, a negative feeling about, you know, Shotokan only out of just watching Bruce Lee movies, how, you know, he always had issues with the karateka, right? <laughs> yep. So I was like, okay, well, I don't think Bruce would like the school, so I'm not going to go to the school, right? Kind of silly, but that's that's all I knew. 
Then we went to an American karate studio, the Karate Institute of America. Richard King was the lead instructor there. And they also wore gis, which I did not like. But in our first meeting there, I don't even remember how he, he brought it up, but he mentioned Bruce Lee in a sentence. Something like, like Bruce Lee. I think, I think he was describing American karate, how he was a Kenpo-based. You know, he was a Tracy Brothers black belt, yep. but then he also branched off to do other things. And so I think he was relating that to Bruce Lee, but I, I didn't understand it all the time. All I heard was Bruce Lee. So the second he said Bruce Lee, I told my mom, that's it. I'm in. This is where I'm going. So that's how I got my start. And, you know, it was I, I would consider it more of an American karate studio mm-hmm. than a Kenpo studio. But at that time, the base was all the Kenpo forms for me. Wow. Similar to your experience. Yeah. So then what when you actually started, how long did you stay at that school and what was it about that school? What are some things you remember maybe about your first few lessons or the first few months and that instructor that kind of made you want to stick with it? I think it was just, uh, it was the lifestyle, you know, it was, it was a different perspective that I had on life as a young man. And I started late, late meaning, you know, for me, I was 12. So, you know, a lot of people start when they're, you know, I start my kids when they're three, you know, but mm-hmm. I started kind of late. So for me, it was really like, wow, I'm 12, but I feel like I have a superpower, you know, not, not just physically and a lot of the physical stuff, you know, mind you in my head, I was probably way better than I actually was. You know, I probably thought that I could take on any, any adult, which I could not have, but in my mind I could. So I, I had tremendous confidence but it was also just a way of looking at life and how to organize my life with with discipline and approach to to you know studying and practicing in order to attain your goals you know meeting your different belts and really it was just that lifestyle that I really really liked that gravitated towards me nice and do you remember what what belt level and what age you first got interested in the competition side of things i i think i was a blue belt okay so pretty early on i would say maybe i was 13 or 14 you know, this was this was back in the heyday, right? So I don't know if you, you were in Southern California during the the eighties. No, nope, that wish. was karate was karate. It was, it was Cobra Kai. I mean, karate was was king. Karate in the and valley, so man. There was a, yeah, there was a tournament every weekend. Wow. Every weekend there was a tur- sometimes multiple tournaments. So we would go. The majority of the tournaments that we went to was um, in Culver City at the Culver City Civic Auditorium. Okay. Um, and then obviously once a year at the internationals, yeah. but up and down from Alhambra to the Valley, every weekend there was a tournament, Santa Barbara, Victorville, I mean, everywhere. So I really enjoyed just going out there to do it. You know, it was just fun. It was, it was fun for me. Do you remember your first tournament? I don't think I do. Okay. To be honest. <laughs> no problem. I don't. I remember I did well, like, you know, like right away. I did well right away. Okay. And did you, which I feel was good and bad, you know? Yeah. When you were competing, did you compete in sparring? Did you compete in forms? Did you compete in weapons or did you focus on one thing? I competed in everything early on, Okay. you know, uh, forms, weapons, sparring. But then I, as I got older and I became homeless, <laughs> long story there. But as I got older, I noticed that, you know, I really wanted to do this as a career, like something in the martial arts possibly. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at the people who I wanted to emulate who were actually making money in the film industry doing this. And I was like, you know, Keith Cook or Keith Haribayashi at the time, right? George Chung, the Reyeses, all those people. And I was like, well, so what did they do? They, okay, they competed in forums. They got discovered at the Battle of Atlanta and then they got work. So I went for, I went for that 
and that was kind of my goal. Like I would just envision that. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna be I'm gonna kill it in forums. I'm gonna get noticed, and then I'll have a job. Was that when you decided to, to start doing the NASCA events then? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't because of that. Okay. The first NASCA event I went to was was literally just because it was in at UC Irvine. Oh, okay. So it, it happened to be there because I couldn't afford to travel. So it happened to be there. And I just competed because it was there. And I'm like, oh, wow, there's going to be people from all over the nation here. That's really cool. So I competed in that. And then um, I don't think I did weapons then. I think I just competed in sparring and forms. And... I think I got first in forms and second in sparring and I didn't win grand champion in forms. So okay. it was like, it was fine. It was, you know, it was good for me, but I didn't like, I didn't kill it overall, you know? Right. And then, um, the next day or that Monday I got a, I get a call from Anthony Chan. I don't know if you remember that name. Sounds familiar. Anthony yeah. was the first, Anthony was the first to bring Wushu over from, from Beijing. Oh, okay. Yeah. He and his wife brought Wushu to America and he called me and he said, this is Anthony Chan. And um, I knew who he was just out of from black belt magazines and stuff like that. But I didn't believe it was him to be honest. <laughs> and he said, I'm, I'm calling on behalf of Leilan J. And I was like, sorry, I don't know who that is. He's like, you may know him as Jet Li. Um, at that time, no one knew Jet Li, mm-hmm. right? I, I didn't know who he was. It was only Chinese films. And look, there was no streaming services, right? So you'd have to go down to little Saigon or Chinatown to rent some VHS tapes. So I didn't know who he was. And he says, you know, he saw you at the tournament and he'd love to bring you in to be part of a stunt team for his next film that he wants to shoot in LA. His first film that's going to be shot in Los, in, sorry, in California. Wow. It was in Marino, San Marino or something like that. And so he says it pays $200 cash a day. And I was like, whoa, I mean, that this was like 1989. Yeah. And I was, I was, I was going to school full time at, at Pepperdine, at Pepperdine Satellite, but I had to also have a full-time job that was paying for my school. And then I was teaching and trying to train. Oh, wow. And then on my off nights where I could, I was working at Yellow Freight, loading and loading trucks during midnight shifts when people wouldn't show up because I was trying to get in the union so I could make a little bit more money. Wow. So I was I was swamped and I was falling asleep at work. I was my grades were dropping. I was pretty miserable. And so I thought, well, let me just give this a go. You know, what's the worst that can happen? If it doesn't work out, I can go back to my miserable life. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like school, I can always go back to school, you know, and I was, I was just a few classes away. And so I, I, I did it. I loved it. And then, um, you know, I was fortunate enough for them to invite me back for another film that was shot in LA. And then Jet's manager at that time asked me to move to Hong Kong when they moved back to Hong Kong. And I was going to, and at the last minute, I just decided not to. You know, a lot of people talked me out of it because they said it was just going to be too dangerous. I don't speak the language and mm-hmm. there's no insurance for stunt guys that like you're going to end up a paraplegic in a year. You know, it just scared the shit on me. Wow. So um, I didn't do that. And then that same group of producers in America was Golden Harvest. They were producing Ninja Turtles. And when they did part one, it was all a Hong Kong crew except for Ernie Reyes Jr. And I was shooting with Jet. And then when they did part two, Ernie became a character. He was Kino, mm-hmm. killed that. And so um, I got the opportunity to play Donatello in part two and part three. That's awesome. And since then, I, I, so I literally fell into the business and that was it. And has never turned back since then. So you, when you were approached by Jet Li's people, you had been what, like 16, 17 years old? No, older. Uh, oh, okay. Maybe 19, I don't know, maybe 19 or something wow. like that. That's still impressive, though. I mean, before you turn I was 20. Out of, I, was out of high, I was out of high school. I was out of high school. I, okay. It's all kind of a blur. I really don't remember everything. <laughs> wow. I'm almost positive that I actually met you 
at the Diamond Nationals when you were there promoting maybe one of the Ninja Turtles movies. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, maybe I. I, 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 I used to go. Yeah, I, I never. Com- I never competed there, but I used to go and watch. You know, friends compete and stuff, and I was there probably every event from probably ninety through like ninety five. And then probably oh, wow. probably ninety seven through ninety nine. So I'm pretty sure one of those well, early nineties ones you might have been there. You might have even maybe competed yeah. at one. Or maybe did you compete still then, or had you given up competition by then? No, I think after after I was in the business, I was I never I never really liked the competition to be honest. Oh, okay. You know, like I liked it and I liked it in the beginning when I mean my fondest memories are are the local tournaments. Okay. You know, of like hanging out with friends and then, you know, exchanging techniques and then meeting new friends and then training with them at their dojos and them coming to my dojos. You know, just like to me, those are the glory days. You know, the local tournament, I say local tournament, but in LA, it's like David Lee, David Lee Roth was competing Wushu. Danny Bonaducci was there. Ralph Macho and Ralph Macho was there preparing for the Karate Kid, you know, watching tournaments with Mr. Mm-hmm. Miyagi. It was crazy. So to me, those were the glory days. But once I got into the national circuit, I just, I, you know, I, I liked the attention. Who wouldn't? You know, a young man at that age, right? Yeah. But I didn't, I felt like, and this is, I'm not knocking on anyone, right? Everyone has their own path and what mm-hmm. they want to do. And it's just everyone's path is different. Everyone's likes are different you get out of martial arts everyone gets different things but for me i didn't like that extremely small cultish community okay you know i just didn't there was a lot of people that felt very important because they would win a certain trophy or they would you know not even medals you you win this big plastic trophy right those five foot and, trophies from the diamond nationals yeah yeah well, some of them were six foot and you yeah. could even bring them on the airplanes back then you know I, I literally brought mine on the airplanes back then wow. but they all they just I didn't feel that I didn't, I don't, I don't know how to, I'm trying to say this without being condescending because I do not mean it at all. But to me, like the trophies and the medals, it's more of a personal victory and it, it's not really an, an outside victory. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I felt like I'm not that important just because I won this. It's not that big of a deal, people. Yeah. And people are walking around like, that's it. I've reached my life goal. You know, I'm a grand champion 10 times over. And then when I walk around this tournament and I puff my chest and people asking me for autographs, I'm the king of this little pond. <laughs> and I didn't, I, I saw some people that were older than me that were still there doing that. And it's like, I don't want to be that guy. Mm-hmm. That's just not me personally. I don't want to compete for 50 years, you know, and, and take home the same medals. I, it just, I just wasn't into that. And so at a certain point I was like, okay, I'm, I'm done with this. I love the community. So, you know, I'll, still go to support to watch to meet people you know to promote stuff but i I just wasn't into the competition i was more into like training for myself i get that completely i'm i'm the same way i've done one tournament in my life i've never been i like training other people for tournaments but i've never been into the competition myself so i completely understand that yeah i mean i think the competition is a great way to test yourself but i think you just don't want to get wrapped you don't want to get wrapped up in it where it defines you because it should not define you it doesn't mean I mean, I remember back in the day, every tournament we went to was had the title World Championship. <laughs> yep. You know, it's like Baker, the Bakersfield World Championships, you know. And so <laughs> everyone in their brother was walking around like they literally were the world champions. Yeah. You know, it's like you're not the best in the world. You're the best in Bakersfield and whoever showed up <laughs> that day, you know. Yep. Even at the internationals, okay. Granted, there's people from all over that came to the internationals, but there's probably there was a lot more people that didn't show up. Yeah. You know. And so I, I just, I, I just felt like I needed to, to check myself, you know, 
to me, that makes perfect sense. That's not condescending at all. I, yeah. I completely agree and understand where you're coming from. So, so you know, it's great because now I have kids who compete, you know, in, in jiu-jitsu and wrestling, and I and I try to to give that mindset to them as well. And I know I've succeeded because I see like when they win a medal, it just goes in the it goes in the closet or a drawer. Nice. Which I love. It, yeah. They're not they're not framing them up. They're not bringing them to school to show. They're just like putting them away in a drawer. And if if tomorrow a burglar came in or someone accidentally threw them all away, there would be zero love loss. No oh. one would cry about it. No one would be upset because, you know, hopefully they know that that does not define who they are. And that's just a symbol of hard work at that. And they were happened to be the best at that particular tournament on that particular day against that particular person. That's all it needs. That's Nothing good. more. That's good. Nothing more. So I got I just looking looking through your IMDb and I noticed you were in uh, rock and roll high school forever. What was it like working with Roger Corman? So that was my first SAG job. That really? was the job that I took instead of going to Hong Kong. I, okay. I skipped over that because <laughs> I didn't know you wanted to go down that rabbit hole. I was just but, curious. So I just, was, I, I'm, uh, I'm a Roger Corman fan, so that kind of jumped out at me. <laughs> So that was, you know, it's Corey Feldman. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yes. For Feldman. Yep. That's Corey Feldman. And that was the sequel to rock and roll high school. Yes. The Ramones. And so, um, I, I got that film. I don't know how I got it. I think honestly, just out of confidence, you know, mm-hmm. of, of going into the audition because I had, I didn't really know how to act. And, and the part was for a bass player. And so part of the deal of being in that movie is that we were going to start this band that could possibly go on tour and that was going to record a record and the whole thing. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, and I don't know how to play bass. So we had, we had, I, just, I can't remember. Someone from the Red Hot Chili Peppers taught us at that time. Really? I, I can't remember. I, I don't remember the details, but I remember it was big. That's I'd like to cool. say it was John Frusciante, but, but I don't remember. But, you know, we had great musicians. Mm-hmm. The band was 11. Natasha and Alan were, were the lead singers of this band. And they, they came in and they, they were the music coordinators. And they taught us how to play and how to, how to you know, they, Corey wrote songs and we actually recorded several songs for a soundtrack and made some music videos that you can still find online. No, I need to look for that. <laughs> That's yeah, cool. pretty crazy. Like I could, I could legit say I was in a band. That's really videos. cool. <laughs> Even though I can't sing with crap and I cannot play with crap. <laughs> That's awesome. And I, and I just noticed you were, yeah. you were on two of my favorite shows from the nineties, Walker, Texas Ranger and Nash Bridges. I love both oh, of those yeah. shows so much. That's so you're actually my second and, guest and that's been on both of those shows. So two of my favorites to work on as well. Nice. I'll tell you that. Those are those that, those were the times. So what Nash Bridges amazing. Yeah. So what what did you enjoy more? Being an actor in front of the camera or being a stunt person? You know, that answer has changed throughout the years. Okay. So back then I was just soaking everything in and I, I took what I can get. It's not like if there were jobs for me to act and, hey, you want to be the lead in this feature? Of course I would take it, mm-hmm. you know, but those jobs weren't, those jobs weren't around that often. So, you know, at that time, and I'm sure still today, you, you take what you can get, you know? So yeah, I took the acting jobs when they were offered to me and when they weren't, I was fortunate to have a craft that I could work, you know, that I could, I could work as a stunt player. That's cool. I mean, that's just, yeah. so how did the, uh, how did the Conan, I'm just curious, the Conan O'Brien thing, how did that come about? Did, did they approach you? Did you have to audition for it? Did they see you somewhere? Um, so a good friend of mine who's uh, uh, one of my mentors in stunts, uh, his name is Al Goto, and just a dear friend. And he, he called me and he said, hey, uh, Conan O'Brien is taking over The Tonight Show. One of the writers who's a friend of mine 
called me. They're looking for a stunt coordinator for the show. And Al couldn't make it. And so he recommended me for the job. So I said, oh, that'd be amazing. Thank you. So, um, you know, I, I met with the, or the writer connected me with the producer. And she brought me in to look at the stage before they even started The Tonight Show. And it was just a very general meeting about what we can do stunt-wise. Mm-hmm. And it was so confusing to me because it was so vague that I had no idea what she was talking about. And I would just answer, oh, sure, we can do this or that. Like, I I really don't even remember. And she called me back in at least two or three times to meet and talk again. And I still had no idea. I'm like, are you going to give me the job or not? You know what I mean? (laughs) And then then finally she says, hey, so, you know, we're going to launch the show, The Tonight Show, the first day is this week. We'd like you to be on episode seven as a guest. And I was completely confused because I thought they were hiring me as a stunt coordinator. Mm-hmm. And so I said, I said, what's the date? Just to kind of bullshit her because I didn't want to do it. Yeah. And she said, the date is this. And I said, oh, I can't make it that day, but I can give you a referral of some other people who I think would be great. And she, she asked, she kept pushing the dates and I was telling my wife about it. And, and she's like, why don't you want to do it? And I said, I don't want to be on camera because I'm, you know, I'm five, six. Conan is 11 foot tall. <laughs> yep. He's just going to, all he's going to do is just make fun of me. He's just going to make fun of me for being the short Asian guy. It's going to be like the, the Indian tellers on, you know, the convenience guys on Dave Letterman. Right. Yep. I said, I'm just going to get just goofed on the whole time. And I never seen Conan. Had I ever watched Conan, I would know that that's not his style. Right. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't go for the low blow shots. He's, he's, he's too classy for that. But I didn't know that because I'd never seen the show and I didn't bother investigating because it was hard to at that time. Right. Right. It wasn't like internet, you just put it on. So then she finally kind of, you know, not literally, but figuratively slapped me and like said, you know, you know, grow some balls and just do the show and <laughs> see where it goes. <laughs> so awesome. I called back and I said, okay, I would love to do it. And then, then that was it. That, so that little, cool. then it just happened. We did the first show and then um, I got a call the next day and she said, Conan loves you so much. He wants to bring you back. And then we just kept rolling and I don't know how many we did. But around a dozen, I would guess. That's really cool. I mean, yeah. that's just what an experience. <laughs> Considering you didn't want to do I, it, I'm I obviously you're glad you did. I would call that the highlight of my career so far, as really? far as my enjoyment. Okay. Yeah, because I, I not only you know it was kind of like a stand-up thing. Like it was, I was put into uncharted waters for me. Like now you're going to be funny with one of the funniest guys on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was a big challenge for me. It was a big challenge. I was nervous. And I just learned so much from him. I felt like I got an honorary master's degree in comedy just by, you know, being around him and, and, and Rachel Whitley, the producer so much and and just picking their brains and getting notes from them. It was incredible. How about, uh, how about movie wise? What, what is one or two of the movies that really stand out as, as highlights that, you know, you got to really showcase your skills and stuff maybe. I mean, I would just, I'd go back and say Ninja Turtles. I mean, I, I, I wish I knew at that time that how valuable how cherished of a, a moment that would be because to me it was more like I, I did it, but you know, I didn't know, didn't know Ninja Turtles was going to be that big for so long. <laughs> I think anybody, you know, did. had I known I would have kept, I would have kept more of my costume, you know, but, um, I, I, I think that by far will, will always be etched in my memory because it was the, not only it was the first big film, but because it was so physically challenging. And that when we completed the day, it felt like you just ran a marathon. And it's like, whew, that was satisfying. Right. That was satisfying. 
and you think about it, I mean, they've remade them, they rebooted them numerous times, but people just keep going back to those originals, you know, the early 90s ones. They're just, they have such a, even, you know, like even my kids. Well, I think it's because it's a different feeling, right? When you're, when you're looking at actual costumes as opposed to CG. Exactly. I think that's Very why different. it's like, it's like, oh, it's just, it, it's a different vibe. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And it's, I know I remember going to the, the first one opening night in theaters. And then I, I remember the, the, the first diamond nationals where they made the announcement that two or three of the guys who were in the suits are going to be there. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so, drove the yeah, hun- hundred miles just so we could go down there and meet you guys and stuff. So, Oh my God. Yeah. It was amazing. <laughs> That's so cool. And, uh, and, and you did, you did part three. So that was that the one vanilla ice had the song for no that was part two oh, that was he, two he okay. actually taught us how to dance yeah. really okay so you got yeah. to work with vanilla Ice. that's that's got to be a highlight it's too working with, of, working with vanilla ice i mean come on it's one of the re- regrets of my life he gave us all these vanilla ice it's an ice ice baby uh-huh. these 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 satin remember those satin jackets or the satin oh, yeah. jackets that everyone used to wear yeah so he gave us a satin vanilla ice tour <sighs> jacket with my with my name on it and at some point i was like what am i gonna do with this i think i just tossed it to goodwill you know? oh man I, I i would be rocking that every single day man that's awesome <laughs> i'd love to see that jacket man and yeah someone probably like you said someone probably went to goodwill and like, hey, look what i got for five bucks <laughs> I, uh, I hope i hope i hope to god someone's wearing that right now that is so 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 cool that's i'm i'm jealous <laughs> Yeah, me nice. too, whoever has it. <laughs> I want to back up a little. You you had mentioned when you were talking that you had actually done some teaching when you were in martial arts. So what what kind of led to that, and, and uh, what did you enjoy about teaching? I mean, I started teaching early on, I think, as most, most dojo kids, right? Mm-hmm. You grow up, and then you start assisting classes. So I started teaching kids, like little, little peewee kids, and then started teaching adults and privates, like, right away while, while I was in high school. It was, like, kind of my job, and, and I've... And frankly, I've never stopped. I've never stopped. That's good. So do you still do like private lessons? Have you ever run your own school? No, I never okay. had. I never, that's something I could not do that. There's, okay. I just couldn't do it. I think it drive me crazy. <laughs> okay. I'm not, I'm not that patient. I, I've, I've taught a lot of people to get ready for film roles. Okay. Which is really fun because then you don't have to go over the painstaking basics, you know? <laughs> right. And it's more like, okay, I have I have X amount of time to make it look like that you are the best in the world. And so it's like it's like the challenge of working with, you know, someone and, and using their strengths and, and their coordination strengths and using those to make it look like that they are way better than they are. I love that challenge. Okay. So then thinking back to when you first started doing it as a high school kid to now, where you still kind of do it, what do you think has really changed the most about your style of teaching? Oh, great question. I think it's more about the, I'm not so set in my ways. Okay. Because when, especially as a teen, right, or a young adult, you know, or a, a fresh black belt, you think you know it. You really think you know it all. And as you get older, you realize, oh, you didn't know shit. All you knew was basics. All a black belt is means that you have your basics down. That's what a black belt is, you know. And now I always teach different approaches depending on the person that I'm working with. Okay. So what works with what works with your body style? What works with your endurance? What works with your age? 
you know, and I focus on that and have different approaches because they're now, you know, as you know, there are so many styles that are accessible to all of us. Right. You can open up YouTube or your Instagram page. It's like, oh, dang, I like the way he did that roundhouse kick better than this roundhouse kick, you know, and there's just different approaches. So now it's just, it's for me, teaching is like putting a puzzle together and the puzzle is different for every person. So is there one actor or actress that stands out as they just, they almost like they were naturally just pick it up so well. And you're like, man, I could see them really doing this. Yeah. Uh, two, two, James Franco Nice okay. is one of the most, no, I'm not one of the most, he's the most dedicated actor I've ever worked with. Wow. And definitely one of the most coordinated people I've ever worked with. Okay. I was, you know, I worked with him on a lot of different films, but uh, one of my most memorable, and we traveled the world together, you know, mm-hmm. um, and one of my most memorable moments was he was, I was prepping him for one film, Tristan Isolde, which was a sword film, period piece, while he was working on Spider-Man at the same time here, okay. here shooting in LA and New York. And so his schedule was packed because he, in addition to that, he would never miss his acting classes. And, you know, he's always reading. I mean, he's always got something going on. And so we would have to train at the park pretty early in the morning. You know, I don't know what time. It was different every time, but fairly early, you know, talking like five o'clock sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And so one morning I, I, I get to the park at five o'clock, get there a little bit early, and I see him in his car sleeping. <laughs> wow. And so I'm like, what the fuck? So I lightly knock on his window, like, are you alive, you know? <laughs> and and I'm like, did you sleep here? And he goes, yeah, I had a, a late night shooting, and I didn't want to miss our practice this morning. Wow. So I came straight to the park to go to sleep, Shit. and I figured you would wake me. Dang. That's so I was impressive. like, holy cow, that's, that's dedication for a guy who was like the second lead in Spider-Man yeah. and the lead in this other film he was doing, and he's sleeping in the park because he doesn't want to miss one training session. Wow. So... Then I said, I said, you know, because he was living, you know, like in the valley and he was shooting here closer in Culver City. So I, I said, you know, just I have an extra room. You can I'm give you a key to my house. Come in whenever you want. And then I'll wake you up and we'll train in the morning. Nice. You know, so we did that. And I would. And one time, you know, I heard him come in like late, like I want to say like four o'clock or something like that. And we had like a five o'clock training. And so I made the decision not to wake him up. Okay. And I've never seen that was the first time he ever like lost his temper with me. Really? When he woke up at like a couple of hours later, he's like, why didn't you wake me up? And I said, you came in. I heard you come in at five. I thought you need more than an hour because we have to work out and then you have to go to set. I was looking out for him yep. and he was pissed. He's like, don't, please don't ever do that again. Please don't ever do that again. Wow. <laughs> that is impressive though. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then um, Lenny James Oh. Okay. Uh, from Walking Dead. Morgan was his character. He picked mm-hmm. up the bow staff like he, he he picked it up like, I mean, he could have been Donatello, no problem, you know? Very cool. Like, he really, really picked it up, like, incredibly fast. That's awesome. But there's several others, many others, but to me, those are the two top standouts. And you, and you don't have to give a name, but was there one that was just horrible and you're like, God, they're never going to get this? <laughs> I'm sure there's probably been more than one, but like I said, don't have to give a name, but I'm, I'm oh, sure you God, had a few. I, I've worked <laughs> I'm going to qualify this because there's been many, Okay. but it's, it's really not even fair to say this because there's situations where you only have a certain period of time to work with them. Okay. You know, for example, like I, I worked with Brad Pitt on Troy for six months. We had six months Wow. and like three times a week, you know, so he got it down. Yeah. Right. And so when you have a lot of time, when you have like a month or more, even though the person may not get it right away, eventually within a month or two months, you'll be able to give them tools, go-to tools 
that are key that they can get for the scenes. Okay. But then the problem is oftentimes when people are hired last minute or their schedules are just, you know, not workable and they're not as dedicated as Mr. Franco, right? Mm-hmm. Now you only have like an hour sometimes, a day, and then there's nothing you can do. And at that point, I just I just bail and it's a discussion with the director producer and say, okay, we got to rely on a stunt double on you know, and then we, we work with the actor to hit certain poses or to do certain some certain things well that the camera can get, mm-hmm. you know. But, you know, it rarely works out, to be honest, because even though we're able to do that, and if a production is that unorganized, then generally the directing, the editing, everything is as unorganized and on different pages and then it never turns out well. <laughs> Okay. The way it is. No, that makes sense. That makes that makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. So, do you do you get time with your busy schedule? Do you get time for you to still work out and work on your martial arts stuff as often as you want to? Yeah, I mean, I I, I have I have ten year old twins, mm-hmm. and so they're the focus of of my training. Nice. Everything revolves around them, you know. So, like right now, I'm sitting in my car at wrestling practice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it it's fun for me because you know I I I was never a grappler. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all know grappling is king, yep. you know, once you're actually in close with someone. And so I'm getting to, you know, work on that for myself with them, which is really fun. That's cool. But yeah, I maintain, I completely maintain, you know, it's one benefit of being in the business is that you get to meet so many different people that are specialists in so many different areas. Right. And so, um, you know, I have a, I have a small private gym really just for, for myself and my family and friends. Okay. And uh, that we work out in, we all get together, you know, at least at least once a week. Nice. And you had mentioned your kids started yeah. at age three. Now, have they been primarily like jujitsu and wrestling the whole time? Did they did they start with a stand up style or primarily ground? So I ha- I had this uh, when my wife was pregnant. I wasn't sure what to do, and it was occupying my brain like way too much. Of like, what's what's what do I put him into first? Mm-hmm. What do I do? Am I going to put him in taekwondo first? You know, like. Okay, it might not be the most functional right away, but then they'll get some kicks down and they'll definitely have a, a, a strong discipline base. Right. Am I going to put them in? What am I going to do with them? And so I decided to do an experiment and do everything with them at the same time. Like you teach a kid different languages. Mm-hmm. You know how, you, how kids learn how to speak two or three different languages at a time? Right. And, and the, it's a little confusing for them, but then it clicks in. Mm-hmm. And so I thought I would try that if they had an interest in it. Okay. And they did have the interest. So right away we started uh, dedicated wrestling, dedicated jujitsu, and then I worked with them on stand up. Wow. And then since then it's it's we've added capoeira, dedicated just capoeira. Nice. And then now they have you know like we're they're gonna have the first Muay Thai tournament coming up, and we've been doing a lot of MMA. That's their new love. Okay. It's just to put it all together. And we don't do head contact, no head contact at all. Right, obviously. I'm, I'm yeah, very against old. That. Yeah, that, that, yeah. I agree. So it's more like it's it's more like uh it'd be like karate point fighting, mm-hmm. but with wrestling and jujitsu. Okay, <laughs> cool. I was gonna say you mentioned capoeira. I I, I want to chat with you a little afterwards because I've I've been that's one I haven't had a guest yet that does capoeira on my show. So if you have any recommendations, I'd love to chat about that. <laughs> yeah. So capoeira, just talk now. I'd love to. So capoeira started as a during COVID, when we had nothing to do, right? We were home and I, mm-hmm. and I was doing their school schedule and kind of, you know, homeschooling them and I had their schedule down. And um, my sister had introduced us to Airbnb experiences. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, let's do origami with this lady in Tokyo. So I was like, what? It's like, how cool is that, right? 
So we took an origami class with this lady in Tokyo, and it was you know very inexpensive, very reasonable. Wow. And then I started I started looking, and I and I found capoeira, and I'm like, hey guys, you know what do you want to do? And we we did magic with a guy in Spain. You know we did a couple of these things, right? Mm-hmm. And then I said, oh, capoeira in Rio. I'm like, whoa, that sounds really cool, right? So we took a class with Medusa, his name, in, in Rio de Janeiro, and he mm-hmm. took a capoeira class. And that was two years ago. Wow. And they've been doing it two hours a week ever since. That's so cool. And and they've actually we're actually going to his wedding. Oh wow. Next weekend. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean he's coming, he's he's moving, he's moving here. Um, and we've seen him twice. We're going to his wedding and you know, we've become very close and they're they've become actually pretty good okay. just all off zoom all off zoom that's impressive that that's uh, you know i've yeah. always been i've always been infatuated with that style ever since i saw the movie only the strong i'm <laughs> just you know. yeah i would highly recommend it and you know if, you, if there's not a place where you can go to in person mm-hmm. you know to get started or or even longer i i would highly recommend highly recommend it Okay. I'll have to look into it a little more. It'd be fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually hoping I put a, yeah. I put a request in to have a Mark Dacascos on the show. I'm not holding my breath, but I'm, I'm keeping my fingers oh, awesome. crossed. Okay. Yeah. I'd, I'd love awesome. to, I'd love awesome. to chat with him. So who knows, but awesome. so I know you, you, yeah. you mentioned a little bit of, you, you mentioned MMA. I'm curious now with you, with your background in, in martial arts and stuff, are, are you a fan of MMA and kind of what, what are your thoughts on like MMA and the UFC? Um, how about my thoughts on MMA and not the UFC? <laughs> okay. That works. <laughs> Okay, so I I love MMA, and but I feel like that there's a lot of negatives that come with it. Yes, and so the the positives that come with MMA is obvious. Is that it's a mixed martial arts. It's what Bruce Lee has been telling us to do for 50 years, and mm-hmm. no one listened to until you know until <laughs> UFC came out. Exactly. But uh, so I love MMA because of the obvious reasons yep. that it just has opened up an entire door to fast track the most effective martial arts style for each individual person. Right. You know, cause as we know, it's about the matchup. So at one point grappling was King, but now stand up is coming back. And now, now you have to learn everything. You have to know everything. It's just an amazing experience to just learn all these different things with an open mind, the way Bruce Lee had intended in the first place. The okay. negative about it is that you lose the sense of tradition and respect. Right. You could take a 20-year-old athlete, you know, who maybe has wrestled a little bit, and you can make that guy world champion in three to five years. No yeah, problem. True. No problem. No problem. He may not be the cleanest at jiu-jitsu. He may not be the cleanest at wrestling. He may not be the cleanest at kicking or punching. But overall, as an MMA artist, he may be the champ. And you can tell. I mean, you know that, right? You look at you look at many of the champions and look at them. If you put them just in a jiu-jitsu match, they may get destroyed. Mm-hmm. You put them just in a boxing match, they would completely get destroyed. You put them only in a taekwondo or a muay thai match, they would get destroyed. But you put them in an MMA match, they're going to beat everybody. Right. You know. So positives and negatives. A big negative. Another negative that I feel is just the lack of respect. Yeah. The trash talking. I'm completely not into that. I, I, I think that's the exact opposite of, of what martial arts symbolizes. And this is why I'm a really big fan of one championships. I'm a huge fan of one championships. I like the way they put on their events. I like the way that they have different rule sets where you can watch an event and there's wrestling, there's jujitsu and then there's Muay Thai and then there's MMA. And most of all, I love the respect that they demand from all their competitors. Right. No, I agree. Completely. I think that's, I think they're doing, they're doing it right. Yeah. I love the way they're doing it. 
and I'm not knocking other organizations. I'm not saying that there's there's obviously other fighters in other organizations that that live by that code. Yeah. You know, GSP, Anderson Silva, Leota Machado. I mean, there's there's so many that live by that code. Michael Chandler. I mean, I think there's a lot that yeah. live by that code, but there's many that don't. Yeah, you can tell and the ones that have that a traditional background. I mean, you can tell. Yeah, yeah, and there's many that may live by that code personally, but feel like that they have to be a trash talker in order to make money. Right. And that's sad. That, yeah. sucks. that sucks because sh- no one should ever have to be in that position. Yeah. No, I agree completely. So, all right. So in all your years of martial arts, is there one philosophy you've learned that rises to the top? You keep coming back to it. Have an empty cup. It all boils down to empty cup. Your cup has to be empty. Otherwise it's, it's never going, you're just blocking yourself from information. Mm-hmm. If you're not open to it and just to stay open, even though you know that the information you're hearing might be wrong or it doesn't suit you, you still have to take it in because then then that's how you strengthen your own techniques. And then you know how other people are using techniques. You know, you just have to always listen. Right. It's great because I that, that's the one lesson that I've taught my kids. You know, you got to be like water, right? Just like Bruce Lee. You got to be water and you have to have an empty cup. And, you know, they've they've learned how to do a, a single leg takedown at least 10 different ways from, you know, 10 different people. Mm-hmm. And each time when we're done, you know, they come to me and we talk about it and we're like, oh, he does it differently. She does it differently. This is how they do it differently. And then we, we, we figure out, oh, well, well, that would work in this scenario, but not in this one. Or maybe this is better overall or maybe nah, that doesn't work for us. It only works for him because he's a 300 pound beast. You know what I mean? It's not going to work for a little guy. Right. You know, so but then you know how the big guys are going to go against you now. Right. You know, so it's like just keep an empty mind and, 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 and be open to how different people do things. So if you're, you know, if you're a Taekwondo guy, you're not going to be your Shotokan guy. You're not going to be throwing punches with your hand at your, your armpit, your other hand on your armpit, you know, right. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to, you should study from how a boxer throws punches, you know? I like that. That's cool. That's a good, good way to look at it. So, all right. I got a, a few fun questions to wrap it up here. Um, who are, Three, four, five names you would put on your personal Mount Rushmore of martial arts. Martial arts? Yep. That can include boxing. It can, you know, traditional martial arts. Oh it can include Emma. It's, it's, it's your personal. So it's, they can be people you know and trained with. They can be someone like a Bruce Lee. You know, it's, it's, it's your Mount Rushmore. And I've had people do as few as two names and as many as eight. So it's your Mount Rushmore. Okay. I would start with uh, Miyamoto Musashi. Nice. Famed swordsman. I would, number two would be Sun Tzu. Cool. Chinese general, uh, you know, Art of War. Yep. Three, Bruce Lee. Nice. And then, uh, holy cow, <laughs> four would have to be, uh, you know, I don't know, if you can make one face with half Helio Gracie and the other half Carlson Gracie. You know? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Hey, that's a good Mount you know? Rushmore. There's just some solid picks there, so. Yeah. All right. How about uh, a favorite martial arts? And then Muhammad Ali. Muhammad oh, Ali. Oh, nice. Muhammad Ali. I like Muhammad that. Muhammad Ali. Okay. Yeah. Nice. He's actually he's actually been picked. Him and Bruce Lee have probably been picked the most, I think. Yeah. When I've asked that question. Gene LaBelle. Yep. Gene LaBelle. And then yeah. one more. One more. And Dan Gable, wrestler. Oh, not yeah. From Iowa. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. So I had big, the opportunity. I had the chance to meet him, and I couldn't make it. I was so bummed. He was doing a seminar near here, oh, and, I, could, wow. and I, I couldn't get out of work, and I was so sad. Wow. Yeah, he would have been cool to meet. All right. How about a favorite martial arts book? Uh, the Book of Five Rings. Very cool. Solid pick. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
and you're 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 around my age, so you, you might have a you might have one for this, you might not. But do you have a favorite martial arts video game? Oh God, it's everyone makes fun of me, but I love the the original. Um, what was it called? Battle. It was on the first PlayStation. Do you remember the martial arts game on the first PlayStation? First PlayStation. I can't. Oh. I can't remember. I can't even remember the name because that that game made me so addicted to games that I had to stop playing games after I played that game. Really? And I haven't. I haven't played games since then because I literally legit got addicted. Really? And I can't even remember the name now. And yeah. I'm, I'm trying to remember. I mean, I had an original PlayStation. I cannot remember. It was like like one of the guys was the old guy, the old Asian guy with the long beard. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, like a Street Fighter-ish kind of game, but it was called Battle Something. I can't remember. Okay. Sorry, I don't remember the name. No, it's no problem. I know. I remember like Virtual Fighter. That's the one I was thinking of, but <laughs> yeah, Battle Something. Now, now I'm going to have to look it up because I'm curious. But <laughs> Yeah. Battle Toshinden? Oh, that sounds familiar. Yes. Right? Yeah, I think that was it. I think it was Yeah. Okay, cool. These next few questions, you you can't pick something you've been involved in. All right, how about a favorite martial arts TV show? A TV show? Yep, that that you haven't been involved in. I I was going to say Walker, Texas Ranger. (laughs) I know. Um, Oh, my God. I don't know if there's any TV shows that I haven't been involved in. You can go like old old school, like Kung Fu or... Do you watch, oh, Co- well, do you watch Cobra is- Kai? Yeah, I mean, hundred <laughs> percent kung fu. Okay, because Billy Jack was a series of films. Billy Jack didn't yep. have that was a series, right? That was a series yeah, that of was films. Mov- that was movies. Yep. Yeah, so if that was a series, that would have been that would have been number one, Billy Jack. Okay, but kung fu, absolutely, absolutely kung fu. Nice. Now, did you ever watch the the sequel, the Kung Fu: The Legend Continues, around like ninety three, ninety four? I did not. Okay. I was just curious. I did not. I'm, I I think I'm one of the only ones that watched it. Ninety <laughs> percent yeah. of my I guests. I feel like I didn't want to be just, I didn't want to be disappointed, you know. So that's <laughs> probably why it didn't last more than like a couple seasons, but <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Same same rule, not one you've done. A favorite martial arts movie. Well, I think I don't even think there's a question about that. Anyone who whose favorite movie is not Enter the Dragon cannot be trusted. <laughs> nice. Well, like see, literally, I cannot trust anyone. <laughs> see, and, and that, that's usually my number two. And the only reason I say the original Karate Kid is because it's the reason I got into martial arts. Like I, I saw, okay. I saw I'd Enter be, the I'd Dragon. Be I'd be down with yeah, that. see, I saw Enter the Dragon, and I loved it. But I'm like, I could never do that. That was in my mind. But when I saw Karate right, Kid when right. I was ten years old, I'm like, God, maybe I could do this. <laughs> so I mean, that's the one. And literally walked out of the movie theater to a local Tung Sudo school, handing out free passes in the lobby. So oh, <laughs> that movie well, changed my the life. action was the action was so bad and he's so he's so uncoordinated that it's like of course you can do that exactly <laughs> so yeah it changed my it changed my life i joined literally three days later i joined martial arts so oh that's awesome yeah all right final one and this this one might be tough too for you because you know, like i said again can't be one you've been involved in a favorite and this one doesn't have to be martial arts it can be but just a favorite movie fight scene and I and for this one, I've oh, had I've man. had people go anything from Rocky to Star Wars to Marvel to The Princess Bride and anything in between. Oh wow! I'm gonna have to say Raiders of the Lost Ark, the Ooh. Ice Cube scene. 
Nice. You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about in the in the dance yeah in the dance club. Just that whole scene was just so awesome, and then it just kept building and building and building. It's like, oh my god, what's going on? And then when he drops the the you know the jewel with all the ice cubes, Mm -hmm. because that's been knocked off so many times. Yes. And to me, it's like when something has been knocked off that many times, it's iconic. Right. And that scene, like, I'm okay with martial arts scenes, but to be honest, I prefer the suspense and the the thriller aspect and the drama behind a scene more than the action. I get that. That makes sense. Yeah. Cool. So before I let you go, any any new projects coming out you can talk about? Anything you want to promote that you have coming out? I have some really fun things that I shouldn't be talking about. Okay. (laughs) So I won't. But can I plug my kids? Absolutely. Yeah. I was actually, I wanted to get that in before the end. I know I wasn't sure if you wanted to talk about that or not. So for sure, talk about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So my kids, you could, they're called the Twinges. You could find them on Instagram, Twinges Official. Okay. But they're going to be on America's Got Talent this summer. That is so awesome. And then they're on this really fun station, a YouTube station called the Ninja Kids, K-I-D-Z, okay. which uh, the the Milers started, you know, a branch of West Coast, West Coast guys, mm-hmm. and uh, it, but they're in Utah. And they started this station during COVID. There's a family of five and it, it grew to 20 million followers. Wow. So it's just it's gigantic. And, you know, all the kids are getting older and aged out. So they brought in my my two kids to be among two of the five new ninja kids. That's awesome. So we've been shooting a lot of fun content for them. And I love it because I feel like that right now there's a void in the kids market. Yes. You know, when we were growing up, there was Ninja Turtles, there was Power Rangers. There was like I had Hong Kong Fui. I mean, there was like everything. Sidekicks with Ernie Ray's Jr. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. Now there's really nothing. There's. There's Cobra Kai, which honestly, to me, it's like, it's a fun show, but you know, everyone is drunk every five seconds. Yeah. I'm not really into that. I don't, not, not for I don't know why every, kids. I just don't know why every scene, someone's got to be drunk when they're celebrating drunk or they're upset drunk, but everyone's drunk every scene. Yeah. So that kind of bothers me. I don't, so I don't feel like there's a kid's thing out there now other than, you know, a, a new Ninja Turtles reboot that they keep rebooting. Yeah, exactly. But there isn't anything. You know, Disney had a couple great shows. They had Kicking It, which was amazing. I don't know why they canceled it. Mm-hmm. But there is nothing for kids. So, you know, I love this station for my boys to be on because I feel like it's them influencing, hopefully, a new generation of karate kids. That's awesome. And I will, I'll put links for that out there if you want when I release the show and stuff and promote that. And do you yeah. know, have, yeah, they, have, they, have they said yet, like what, what month or what, when the show is going to be on for America's Got Talent? Uh, they're so secretive about it, okay. but they said this summer. So they okay. said June, it's going to be June or July. Okay, perfect. And and I think you're, well, I'll, let I you think, know. I'll let you know once we, once we, we find out. Cool. Cause I think your episode comes out. I think your episode will be like the first week of June. So. So it should get people okay, cool. should get people time to to watch for it and stuff. So <laughs> that'll be awesome. No, it's gonna you're gonna you're gonna love it. I can't. I don't want to give you a spoiler, but you're gonna love it. Okay, it's I'm excited. I, I love that show when I when I get to watch it. It's tough. Yeah. Ever since I started this podcast, I <laughs> don't watch as much TV as I probably used to. Yeah. But uh, it, it takes course. a lot of my time, but I love doing it. So. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I just want to thank you. This has been so much fun. I know, like I said, we, we, we've been trying to do it for a while, and I'm glad it finally worked into both of our schedules. And and I, I truly appreciate your time, and it's been such a blast talking to you. Yeah. Sorry again for you know. I know we we were on the books for a while, and then work came up, and something would always come up. But I'm sitting here now in the parking lot at my kids' wrestling camp, so <laughs> we made some time for you. It's it's all good, man. It was it was worth the wait. Awesome. Okay. Well, don't hesitate to reach out. 
Thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist. We hope you will join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. Also, be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com. There you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist, and we'll see you next week.